0: M. S. W. Media. welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, April 1st, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice is investigating the organizers of the rally on the ellipse, along with members of Trump's executive branch, the Pence pressure campaign, the false slates of electors and members of Congress. And no, that's not an April Fool's joke. Biden announces his plan to lower gas prices. New evidence shows that White House call logs may have been tampered with And Alex Jones is held in contempt of court for feigning illness, a new favorite excuse for criminals to avoid testifying. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. Uh, If you're a patron, we are going to have a 4 p.m. Pacific time happy hour Zoom call. You should have that in your email or in the Patreon feed or the Supercast feed. Uh, Dana's going to be back with me Tuesday morning. She'll be returning from being out of the country. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interviews that I put out for you yesterday with Richard Green and Van Batum. I thought this was just very informative and I uh, want you to hear them. And uh, of course, today I'll be back with the good news later in the show because I know we skipped it yesterday. So I'm excited about that too. And if you have any good news you want to submit, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I also just started a very brand new, brand, brand new TikTok account to put out little videos about stuff that's going on where I break stuff down. I put out one video from a couple days ago. You can find it on TikTok at The Daily Beans Pod. Again, that's at The Daily Beans Pod on TikTok. That is my name and my handle. So without further ado, we have a lot of news to get to, and it's pretty great. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The biggest news of the year, which I alluded to yesterday in my little breaking news interruption on this show, we now have reporting that subpoenas have been issued. Over the past two months, from a D.C. grand jury to one six rally organizers close to Donald Trump. And then also today, we got an update from The New York Times about some other people who are caught up in those subpoenas. And let me just read to you from The Times here. They say, and this is Alan Foyer, Katie Benner and Maggie Haberman. Federal prosecutors have substantially widened their January 6th investigation to examine the possible culpability of a broad range of figures involved in former President Donald J. Trump's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. That's according to people familiar with the investigation that have talked to The Times and Washington Post. The investigation now encompasses the possible involvement of other government officials in Trump's attempt to obstruct the certification of President Biden's Electoral College victory, and the push by some Trump allies to promote slates of fake electors. Prosecutors are also asking about planning for the rallies that preceded the assault on the Capitol, and that's what we disclosed yesterday and what was reported in the Washington Post, including the rally on the Ellipse on January 6th of last year, just before the pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol. The federal investigation initially focused largely on the rioters who entered the Capitol, And has led to more than 700 arrests. But the Justice Department appears to have moved into a new phase, seeking information about people more closely tied to Trump. The development comes amid growing political pressure on Attorney General Merrick Garland, which we know about. (laughs) There's also been pressure on me trying to say, you know, hang in there. But everyone's been wanting him to move more aggressively in this investigation. A grand jury sitting in Washington is investigating the rallies that preceded the storming of the Capitol. One of the subpoenas, which was reviewed by the New York Times, sought information about people classified as VIP attendees to the January 6th rally. The subpoena also sought information about members of the executive branch and legislative branch who had been involved in the quote, planning or execution of any rally or any attempt to obstruct, influence, impede, or delay the certification of the 2020 election. And this subpoena also asked about the effort by Trump supporters to put forward alternate slates of electors as Trump and his allies were seeking to challenge the certification of the Electoral College outcome by Congress on January 6th. Another person briefed on the grand jury investigation said at least one person involved in the logistics of the January 6th rally has been asked to appear. There's quite a few people who were involved in the logistics of the January 6th rally, up to and including Mark Meadows. That could explain the delay in indicting him. Because if you're trying to get his cooperation, it's going to be a lot easier to put the screws to him with a 20-year felony than with a 30-day misdemeanor. And you don't want to piss him off. And you don't have time because you're doing bigger things. But we don't know. We simply don't know. In pursuing January 6th cases, prosecutors have been assembling evidence documenting how defendants have cited statements from Trump to explain why they stormed the Capitol. And prosecutors have cited, in some cases, a Twitter post from Donald Trump That's the one that we've been talking about, the December 19th, 2020, will be wild post. And that was a call that motivated extremist groups in particular. The expanded criminal inquiry is unfolding as a separate investigation by the House Select Committee on the Capitol riot as it's gathering evidence about Trump's efforts to hold on to power and weighing the possibility of making criminal referrals to the Justice Department. On Monday, as we know, a federal judge in California in a civil case involving the House Committee concluded Trump had likely engaged in criminal conduct, including obstructing an official proceeding and conspiring to defraud the United States, what you and I know is eighteen u s code fifteen twelve c two and three seventy one Garland has given little public indication on whether Justice Department would consider prosecuting Trump, saying only that the department will follow the facts wherever they lead. but the expanded inquiry, elements of which were reported earlier by the post, suggests that prosecutors are pursuing a number of lines of inquiry. those include any connections between the attack on the Capitol and the organizers and prominent participants in the rally on the ellipse. And potential criminality in the promotion of pro-Trump slates of electors to replace slates named by states won by Mr. Biden. Justice Department previously said it was looking into the slates of electors that had falsely declared Trump the victor. We knew that. That even as election officials in seven contested states sent official lists of electors who had voted for Biden to the Electoral College, the fake slates claimed Trump was the winner. We know about all that. So this is very huge. This is very, very big news. The DOJ is investigating who we want them to investigate in the executive branch, people in the legislative branch, the false slates of electors, the hub and spoke conspiracy that you've heard me talk about several times on this show, particularly with one Mr. Glenn Kirshner. And I just want to let you know differences between these subpoenas and a congressional subpoena. Now, there shouldn't be any difference in enforceability because the Congress and the executive branch are supposed to be co-equal branches of government. And their subpoenas should have the same weight. But if you defy a congressional subpoena, then they, they vote and refer you to DOJ. Maybe you get indicted. Right. We know Bannon was. But uh, that doesn't really compel testimony. Right. You can't. You, they just that's a 30 day misdemeanor, 30 day minimum misdemeanor and a fine. So the difference between that and a grand jury subpoena is grand jury subpoenas are enforceable with jail. So that's called civil contempt. And it's different from criminal contempt as referred by Congress. Shouldn't be, but it is. Anyway, there you go. All right, let's see. What do we have up next? Another absolute bombshell from Hugo Lowell that the cable news is inexplicably ignoring. Donald Trump used an official White House phone to place at least one call during the Capitol attack on January 6th last year. That should have been reflected in the internal presidential call log from that day, but was not. That's according to two sources familiar with the matter. Kyle Cheney also pointed out today that that gap, the gap of time, the seven hours and 37 minutes, is the seven hours and 37 minutes that Trump was in the Oval Office. Once he returned to the White House residence, that's when the call log resumed. The former president called the phone of Republican Senator Mike Lee with a number recorded as 202-395-0000. That's a placeholder number that shows up when a call is incoming from a number of the White House Department phones. The number corresponds to an official White House phone, and the call was placed by Donald Trump himself, which means the call should have been recorded in the internal presidential call log that was turned over to the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol attack. Trump's call to Lee was reported at the time, as well as its omission from the call log by The Washington Post and CBS. But the origin of the call is coming from an official White House phone, which has not yet been previously reported, raises the prospect of tampering or deletion by Trump White House officials. It also appears to mark perhaps the most serious violation of the Presidential Records Act. That's the statute that mandates preservation of White House records for official duties. And uh, a spokesperson for Trump didn't respond to a request for comment from Hugo. Trump called Lee at 2.26 p.m. on January 6th through that official White House number, according to the call detail records reviewed by The Guardian. The Guardian has put eyes on these records and confirmation by the two sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The call was notable as Trump mistakenly dialed Lee thinking he was calling Tuberville. Lee passed the phone to Tuberville, who told Trump Mike Pence had just been removed from the Senate chamber as rioters were storming the Capitol. But Trump's call to Lee was not recorded in either the presidential daily diary or the presidential call log, a problem because even though his entries in the diary are discretionary, according to several current and former White House officials, the call log is not. The presidential daily diary is a retrospective record of the president's day produced by aides in the Oval Office who have some way to determine whether a particular event was significant enough to warrant its inclusion. Discretionary. But the presidential call log typically generated from data recorded when calls are placed by the White House operators, is supposed to be comprehensive and a record of all incoming and outgoing calls involving the president through White House channels. The fact that Trump's call to Lee was routed through an official White House phone with a two zero two three nine five prefix, either through a landline in the West Wing, the White House residence, or a work cell phone, means details of that call should have been on the call log. The only instance where a call might not be reflected on the unclassified presidential call log, the official said, would be if the call was classified, which would seem to be unlikely in the case of the call to Senator Lee. The absence of Trump's call to Lee suggests a serious breach in protocol and possible manipulation. It was not immediately clear how the Trump White House official might have obfuscated or tampered with the presidential call log or who might have the authority to make such a manipulation. Trump's calls on January 6th might not have been recorded in the presidential call log if he used his personal phone or cell phones of aides. then the Trump sometimes calls people with cell phone of his then White House deputy chief of staff, Dan Scavino. But multiple current and former White House officials have noted that a copy of the call log alongside the president's daily schedule and the presidential line by line document might be provided to Oval Office operators to help compile the presidential daily diary. That could lead to a situation where records are vulnerable to tampering, since the presidential daily diary and call log need approval by a senior White House official before they can be sent to the White House office records management. And that's according to the officials. And this reminds me of that transcript of the perfect call with Zelensky. That has to be approved. And a lot of things were omitted, according to Colonel Vinman. And by the time of January 6th, two former Trump White House officials said there was a scope for political interference in records preservation with no White House staff secretary formally appointed because Derek Lyons, the former White House staff secretary, left on December 18th. The White House Communications Agency has also not been immune to political influence. The select committee revealed last year it found evidence the agency produced a letter that was intended to be used to pressure states to decertify Joe Biden's election win. That's that metadata. It's coming from inside the White House, remember? Trump's call to Lee was not the only call missing from an unexplained seven-hour gap in the presidential call log that day. Trump also connected with Kevin McCarthy. The presidential daily diary and presidential call log were turned over to the select committee by the National Archives after the Supreme Court refused a last-ditch request from Trump to block the release of those documents. If you are not following Hugo Lowell, remedy that immediately. And President Joe Biden today announced he will be releasing one million barrels of oil per day for the next six months from our strategic oil reserve to mitigate gas prices by increasing supply. He also announced a plan to fine oil companies who are sitting on land leases to drill but not using them. And I love this. There's like 9000 leases to drill and they're not using them because they don't. they, They like when the supply is choked off because that means they can price gouge people. I hope this gets done. But with Fossil Fuel Mansion possibly needed to pass it, it could get sticky. Vote in November, folks. Vote in November. And I have a little schadenfreude. schadenfreude. A Connecticut judge Wednesday afternoon issued a contempt finding against conspiracy theorist and InfoWars host Alex Jones. And this is coming from our friend Klasfeld, Klasfeld Reports over at Law & Crime. Fines of $25,000 per day will kick in starting Friday, unless and until Jones sits for a deposition, but the fines will be refunded if he actually goes through with the deposition he skipped out on due to alleged sickness. The litigation surrounds alleged formal defamatory comments Jones made against the families of the victims of Sandy Hook. The argument is on the plaintiff's motion for sanctions. That's a quote from Judge Barbara Bellis which she said at the beginning of a 47 minute long hearing. This isn't a press conference, she continued, while warning attorneys not to talk about settlement offers which were summarily rubbished by the plaintiffs Tuesday evening. Christopher Mattei, an attorney for the plaintiffs, said he didn't wish to belabor the court with all the facts while he and co-counsel were in Texas attempting to take Jones's deposition last week. Mattei said Jones was ordered to attend after depositions on March 24th and the 25th, but failed to show up. He said Jones willfully refused to show despite. Defense counsel admission that Jones knew he was supposed to show up. Those lawyers sort of ratted him out. The plaintiff's attorney noted that Jones appeared on his own broadcast while he was supposed to be appearing for a deposition. Matei asked the court to set conditions that will coerce Jones to sit for a deposition. Citing a long trail of conduct, the plaintiffs also asked the court to incarcerate Mr. Jones until he purges his contempt. The plaintiffs asked that Jones be fined for failing to sit and talk as well. Jones would rather face the wrath of the court than be deposed, Matei suggested. He asked the judge to issue an order that would change Mr. Jones's calculus. The plaintiffs also asked for costs and fees to be refunded for the ongoing fight. Matei said he hoped any decision by the judge would force Jones to reflect upon the seriousness of the violation he committed last week by failing to appear. Matei also said the plaintiffs were asking for an instruction which allowed jurors to draw adverse inferences from Jones' refusal to sit for the deposition. Cameron Atkinson, an attorney for Jones, said in a plotting monotone manner that he had a shaky internet connection for the remote hearing but would attempt to soldier on. Jones recognizes that the plaintiffs have the right to take his deposition. He sat for three by my account in cases related to Sandy Hook. What has occurred here and has ultimately is he listened to his doctor's advice. That was Jones's attorney. First, initially, and today, there was an uncontroverted record before this court, and there still is, that Mr. Jones's doctor thought his conditions were serious enough to require emergency medical care, and they rendered precautionary advice that included a recommendation that he go to the emergency room immediately. The judge butted in at this point, according to Classfeld, and asked whether the court had the power to evaluate whether the medical advice was right. Atkinson said it would be crazy for the judges not to do her job as the judge. What has presented to you shows beyond a shadow of doubt, he continued, that Jones's doctors were making these recommendations. Mr. Jones has no desire to go to the emergency room, and most of us would share his lack of enthusiasm for going to the emergency room. Their defense. It took some serious persuading to ask him to recognize the seriousness of his condition to avoid stress. Atkinson asserted that Jones never was seeking to escape the deposition. Just postpone it until his doctors cleared him to sit for it. And then he extolled the stress that would result from two days of depositions. Quote, there was nothing in the record, the judge said, to suggest that Jones's doctor even knew what a deposition was. <laughs> this court should not hold Mr. Jones in contempt, Atkinson said. If he experienced escalating symptoms that required him to be hospitalized, he need not attend his deposition. The attorney said this in an attempt to recap a previous ruling by the judge. The judge again cut in to correct Atkinson. I was never given any evidence that suggested he had escalating symptoms, the judge said. He said Jones had a difficult choice on which was extraordinarily difficult, the choice of whether to be deposed. The consequences to his health could prove disastrous, his attorney said, if he sat for these depositions or could risk sanctions for caring for himself, the defense attorney asserted while tripping over his words. (laughs) And the judge bemoaned that the case had been churning on for four years. And now, just weeks before jury selection, Jones still hasn't been deposed. Jury selection is scheduled for August. Evidence is slated to be presented by September. The court finds by clear and convincing evidence that the defendant Alex Jones willfully and in bad faith violated without justification several clear court orders requiring his attendance at depositions on March 23rd and 24th. The judge added that Jones intentionally failed to comply with orders of the court and that there's no adequate factual basis to explain the failure. So the judge ordered Jones to pay 25000 in fines each weekday beginning April 1st and increasing by $25,000 per weekday. So, on the first day, $50,000 fine on the second day, $75,000 on the third day, and so on. The contempt will be purged when Jones completes two full days of deposition. He gets his money back. All right. That is the news. That is a schadenfreude. And uh, it's a big big Friday. I'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. It's AG. Today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep is my favorite thing. I love sleep. We know it's essential for our mental and physical health. I used to have trouble falling asleep. I would toss and turn all night. I'd have nightmares. I'd wake up sore and groggy. Initially, I thought it was from stress or ruminating about politics. Turns out the real culprit was my bad mattress. I was sleeping on a bed made for someone else. But I now sleep better than ever since switching to Helix. I took their online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com/dailybeans. And they match me with the mattress that's perfect for my sleeping conditions. They have a variety of mattresses available, soft to firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, spinal alignment mattresses. They have the Helix Plus for plus size sleepers. I am a side sleeper and I like a medium for a mattress. So the Helix Quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight Mattress. And it's perfect for me. I fall asleep fast and I stay asleep all night. I wake up feeling refreshed. I'm not sore. And I love it. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix, and they have a 10 year warranty. Then you get to try out for 100 nights risk free. They even have financing options available. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, along with two free pillows for listeners at slash dailybeans. That's H E L I X slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well- And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, what the mutt, woobie stories about, you know, blankies or stuffed animals or loveys or Halloween photos I take all year, Easter's coming up, Easter bunny photos are always a crack up. You can send me all of your stuff. If you're a creator or a maker, you have a small business, you have an Etsy shop or whatever, send it to me. I want to know about it. You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I also want to take a minute to thank all of our patrons and supercasters. You guys make this show possible. You help me stay off Spotify. Thank you so much for that. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash wrote. You'll get all three shows, the book club, Muller she Wrote, and the Daily Beans just for as little as three bucks a month. You get the ad-free feeds, which is awesome. All right. First up from Josh, pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans team. First off, thank you. I've been listening since I heard you speak with Trey Crowder, and I've been hooked ever since. You are all amazing people in both the content and your mission. I have some good news to share finally after all this time. This might be long. Feel free to edit. I started the pandemic interviewing jobs in my field, project manager. And once the lockdown happened, all the prospects died. I took a minimum wage job just to help try to stay afloat. This job put me on furlough last April and then laid me off proper in September. In addition to this, the club I was resident DJ at closed like many others. So I had no outlets. Hmm. The owner died and they were not able to keep it going with the long lockdown. In order to help with my mental health, I started DJing on Twitch. They bring the goth club to the people's living rooms with some cute animal videos. This has helped complement the unemployment, thankfully, but still not anything to fully support financially. I just celebrated two years on there and it's going well. I am at uh, twitch.tv such DJ instant cash. If you like goth industrial music, Josh, yes, I do. Last month, after two years of trying to find a job in my career path, I finally got a new role at a company I actually like in my field. I received the offer letter the same week I got notice from unemployment that my benefits had run out. Whew. To celebrate this fortune of good news, I'm finally comfortable enough to sign up as a Patreon. I've wanted to for a long time. I am continuing my online DJ life and continuing to love hearing you every day. That's so great, Josh. And I'm a huge fan of Einsturzende in Front 242, uh, Ebb, uh, Rammstein. I love industrial goth music, so I will check it out. Thank you, he says, for helping me through these last couple of years and for the future that lies ahead. I sadly can't own pets due to my partner's allergies, so I cannot share pet tax, but all I do is share videos of cats, dogs, red pandas, and more on my Twitch stream. I love red pandas. Thank you, Josh. That's amazing. I'm so glad you, you got this job locked down and that you found a creative outlet. That's wonderful. I will check it out. Twitch.tv slash DJ Instant Cash. All right, next up from Megan, pronouns she, her, AG. Hello, ladies of the beans. I'm so excited. I'm vibrating into another dimension and I just have to share. For five years, I've been struggling. It's been post-divorce, moving to another state, bouncing from job to job, only to have it hit peak crap when I ended up working for a bunch of Trump-looking attorneys during 2020 and caught COVID. But things are finally looking up and coming together. I literally just emailed my current employer my letter of resignation. Why? because I got a job offer that's going to be awesome. I'll be getting back to working a job I actually enjoy with a company that has a great reputation and is going to be paying me more for the pleasure. At the end of April, I'm going to be moving back to my home state of Colorado and being back with my family. I feel like I'm finally getting everything back together and back where it needs to be. For pet tax, I attach pics of the 19-year-old cat Snowbell and goddamn it fits, basking in the desert sun. Thank you for all the news and laughter. All of you ladies are all that in a bag of chips. Oh, Megan, that's just such good news. Everybody's getting the jobs that they love and getting everything situated again. Look at the baby. That's a man cat face for sure. Aw. And the sunbather. Looks like a Russian blue. Very beautiful kitties. Thank you so much for sharing and congratulations. Next up from Guy. He and him. Hi, AG. I'm a longtime listener dating back to MSW from the kitchen table days. Woohoo! I previously sent you a find the cat, my licorice black cat Mars in front of the black edge of my television. Yes. And you found him. Mars is one of our five cats. We also have a what the mutt for you. I've attached a picture of our dog Loki, two years old. We have some idea of his breed because dog breeds are often named after where they're from and what they do. I often call him a Western Australia shoe retriever. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yep. That's him. I think you've given me the answers there. But uh, there looks like a little pit bull in there um, because of the coloring. Staffordshire, yeah. Well, let's see what we've got. Yep, Loki is a cross between a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, a Rhodesian Ridgeback, and an Australian Kelpie. As a consequence, he has a staffy coloring with a Ridgeback head and a Kelpie body. Oh my god, it's so fits like a Frankenstein dog. So adorable. Thanks for sending me, Loki. Next up from Nick. He and him. I don't have any particular good news. Just wanted to share a new tie my wife and son found on our Corgi gear at Goodwill yesterday. Our son loved it because it's skulls in the trans pride colors. And Gurr loves it because he's a former Daily Beans newsletter cover model. Uh, He loves to accessorize. That's right. I remember him. In the second picture, Cookie looks on, waiting impatiently (laughs) for him. Uh, I also included a picture of two of our son's rats being snuggly. Because if the website lets me submit three pictures, I'm submitting three pictures and the rats are too cute. Look at the tie. Oh, that's wonderful, especially on Trans Visibility Day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, and look at the rat in his little hammock, little rat hammock. <laughs> so cute. Thank you, Nick. And from Cat Pat Mac, pronouns she and her. Hi there. I'm a relatively new listener and Patreon subscriber. I really appreciate your podcast. Here's a picture of my little girl, Willow. She's approximately nine years old. We adopted her on election day, November 3rd, 2020. Hoo hoo! She was found wandering in a neighborhood with a mouthful of rotten teeth. The thought was that she was a breeder for a puppy mill and was let go when she was no longer useful. That breaks my heart. She had all her teeth removed along with a portion of her lower jaw, which was also diseased. Because of this, her little tongue hangs out of the right side of her mouth, so cute. Her original adopter was devoted to her but felt Willow was depressed. After the adopter started having children and Willow was no longer her one and only. So she did the difficult thing and put Willow up for adoption. We we're retired and work from home. So Willow is rarely alone. We dote on her. She is the sweetest, cuddliest six-pound pup I've ever met. Six pounds. My cat is 19 pounds. <laughs> Willow owns my heart. She has helped me heal after leaving my Bichon with my ex who needed Buddy more than me. That was ridiculously difficult. Rescue pets are truly amazing and I'll never be without a dog again. The last picture shows Willow in a sweater I knitted for her. It fits perfectly. It's the only thing I've ever knitted that turned out so well. I love that you that you love people's stories about their pets and whoobies and lovies, etc. It's so important for us to find comfort and celebrate the little joys. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. <gasps> Look at this baby. Oh, what a honey. That's a lovely sweater, by the way. A little poodle mix. Maybe a malty poo so adorable oh thank you for sending that i love the little tongue hanging out of the, side of the mouth <laughs> my friend has a dog named dolly who has one ear up one ear down one brown eye one blue eye and a giant tongue hanging out of the side of her mouth because she doesn't have any teeth either Thank you for these. Thank you for these photos and these good news stories um, and your good news on your new jobs. Everybody, this is so wonderful. Uh, again, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I will be here on Sunday with the MSW Book Club, and of course, you know who's joining me for Mueller. She wrote this Sunday. It's Pete Struck. We're going to be talking about the Fantasy Indictment League because some stuff went down with some mishandling of classified information, which may or may not be relevant. You know, it's an interesting answer that we get from Pete. And then, of course, I'll be back in your ears Monday. Dana will be back with me Tuesday morning. She will be returning from her overseas adventures. What I miss her so much. I look forward to that. So until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I vote Blue over Q. I've been A.G. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane